Welcome to Sideline Sleuths, a true crime podcast all about the tragic yet fascinating cases no one can seem to get enough of. I'm Megan. And I'm Jasmine. We're so glad you're listening. If you like being an armchair detective, you'll love being a Sideline Sleuth. Today we're going to talk about a 2016 unsolved double homicide in Las Vegas, Nevada. The murders of 21-year-old Sydney Land and her 20-year-old boyfriend, Nehemiah Kaufman, who went by the nickname Neo. The couple was found dead in their apartment on October 27, 2016, in what appeared to be an execution. It is believed that they had been killed somewhere in a 24-hour window prior to being discovered. And what really caught my attention in this case is the element of police corruption, like a full-blown cover-up, or rather, cover-ups, plural. And you guys know how much I, well, I don't want to say love, but I'll say love. You know how much I love telling those stories. I was going to say, I love these. I love these, so. <laughs> All right, so this case is so much more than just the murders of two young people, Sydney and Neo. Woven in with the details of this double homicide are tales of prostitution, bribery, crooked cops, criminals who seem untouchable, weak district attorneys, and an absolute boss lady judge who, when she wasn't getting the help she needed from her local law enforcement, went to the FBI instead. I've seen people refer to this story as both a revenge killing and a terrible case of mistaken identity, but here's what we know. We'll start with the plain and simple facts, because it gets really complicated the further we go into it. So, as you now know, Sydney and Neo were killed within 24 hours of their bodies being discovered. They had both been shot in the head and reportedly at close range. Hmm. Neo was shot in the back of the head and Sydney was shot in the face after some sort of beating because she was roughed up and had rug burns all over her body. Oh my gosh. The couple had only lived in the apartment together for a few months at the time of their deaths. Neo was identified by both his friends and law enforcement as a, quote, up-and-coming pimp, end oh. quote. Sydney was the daughter of a Clark County fire captain who was living with Neo. I just don't like the term up-and-coming pimp. Like, it's, wow, you're on the rise. Yeah, yeah. that almost sounds positive. Yeah, yeah. Like, what a weird spin. Rising star. Like, yeah, yeah weird. No, no, thank you. On October 27th, Sydney's cousin began to worry because she hadn't heard from her for a bit, so she sends her boyfriend to the couple's apartment to check on them. And that's where he made the gruesome discovery that Sydney and Neo had been murdered. He found Neo's body in the living room and Sydney's body in the bedroom. First responders said that the apartment showed no signs of forced entry, leading investigators to believe that the couple likely knew their killer or killers. Detectives were quickly able to determine that this was not a murder-suicide, but instead a double homicide. A publication called the Nevada Current got a hold of some text messages between some friends of Sydney's and Neo's, and those messages express sadness about the murders, but ultimately say that no one was shocked about their deaths. So that says a lot about the kind of life that they were living, or at least that Neo was living, that everybody was like, yeah, you're living a, a lifestyle that... Yeah, like they're upset, dangerous. but they, yeah, they knew that there was an element of danger in their life. So... It has been reported that Neo ran with an unsavory crowd and that he was involved in narcotic sales, prostitution, and maybe even some burglaries. Because of these activities, he was associated with some questionable people, namely a man named Shane Valentine. 
I repeatedly saw him listed in articles from various news outlets as Sugar Shane Valentine, but here we're just going to call him Shane. And Jasmine and I were just talking about this. (laughs) Was it the first 48, right? Yeah. And how in the first 48 they use their street names, and it's like, we're... Can we just... Can we just not? We're just not going to do it, so... So, less than three weeks before Neo and Sydney were murdered, Shane sent threatening texts to Neo and made statements about killing him and his girlfriend. On October 8th, so remember the bodies were found on October 27th, but on October 8th, Shane and Neo had some sort of heated conversation via text. The messages were deleted from Shane's phone, but were retrieved from Neo's after police collected it from his home where he was murdered. Okay, good. But I'm getting ahead of myself. According to the Baltimore Post-Examiner, on October 8th at 5 a.m., Shane, quote, pulled out a gun and threatened to kill both Land, her girlfriend Frankie Zappia, and Kaufman at a parking garage of a local Las Vegas casino, end quote. Now, I don't know how the word girlfriend is being used here. I saw a post on social media made by Frankie at least a year from when Sydney died, and she said that they were best friends. So it could be girlfriend meant to mean something like that, but it could mean something else. I'm, I'm right. not sure. Okay. Anyway, the Baltimore Post-Examiner continues by saying, quote, Valentine was allegedly upset with Kaufman because Kaufman had something that Valentine wanted back. The police were not notified at the time of the incident. End quote. Of course not. Of course not. Because they're, you know, living that life. Yeah, they don't like the police. Later on October 8th, officers responded to a call from the residence of Neo's mother about shots being fired into her home while people were inside of it. The next little like text blurb I'm going to read you comes directly from the same Baltimore Post-Examiner article that I've been referencing. It says, quote, Mrs. Kaufman reported that at about 11.40 a.m., she was in her house with her daughter and her grandson when they all heard what sounded like a car backfiring and went outside to see what the noise was and saw no one in the street. They stated that they noticed a hole that looked to have been made from a bullet on the north-facing wall where one of the bedrooms was located. Since they had not seen or heard anyone when they checked outside, they both went inside. About five minutes later, they stated that they heard what sounded to be a car ramming into the garage door. When they went back outside to see what was happening, they again saw no one on the street or anything suspicious in the neighborhood. Again, they walked back into the house. About five minutes later, they all heard four to five more gunshots. But again, by the time they got outside, there was no one in sight. Now that brings to me. They keep going outside when they hear gunshots. Would not do stuff. that. I would have called the police. Yeah. Before. I'm not, I'm not going to go look. Yeah. Um, somebody's shooting my house up. Let's go see who it yeah. is. Or shooting up this neighborhood. Let's go see who it is. No. No, no. That's how you die. Yeah. Well, some so, people just really distrust the cops. So. I guess that's true. So the police are there, right? And they find a Nissan emblem underneath the garage door, seemingly from where a car collided with it, and they interview neighbors, and the neighbors are backing up what the coffins are saying. One witness said they heard someone say, come out, you're a dead man. There was gunfire, some kind of gray or silver sedan, a black male throwing objects at the residence, and then that man quickly fleeing the area. Investigators noted that there was a broken window on the second floor and a bullet hole on the second floor, as well as damage consistent with someone hitting the garage door with a vehicle. According to Mrs. Kaufman, her son Neo hadn't lived at her home for months, since June of 2016, and when police questioned him, he said he didn't recognize the description of the suspect. This, of course, was a lie. 
Right. I just right, felt right, like right. Maury right there. <laughs> <laughs> lie detector test results. Yeah, wow. Determined that was a lie. I, that's, I feel like that's a really erratic way to try to call someone out. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason he did it is because he was invited. So, oh, oh, snap. Same I more. will continue. So, Neo and Shane are texting, and Shane is really mad about something. It starts out about a gun. He is trying to get his hands on a specific gun, and it escalates into him eventually threatening Neo about it, saying that he will go to his mom's house or he will go to Sydney's job. Neo tells Shane that he is at his mom's house around 11.26. What a jerk. Yep, and he wasn't there, and Shane goes over there. Three minutes later, Shane texts Neo asking for the gate code, and Neo gives it to him. This fool! Then Shane repeatedly tells him that he's outside and to come out and be a man. Shane tells him that he'll kill him, his mom, his family, his friends, Sydney, like all of them. Like he's, He tells him to come over there, and he's like, come out or I'm going to murder your whole family. But Neo wasn't even over there to go out. But no, I feel like I, don't, I felt bad for him when you told me Neo got murdered, but now... I'm like, so you knew your mom and your little sister. Your, or your, your sister and your grand and your nephew. Yeah. yeah. We're at the house and you, you gave a murderous man that you knew was mad and knew yeah. was about that life the code to your community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I still feel bad from that I got killed, but like this could have been prevented. Yeah. Yeah. No, he instigated it and then mm-hmm. wasn't even there. Yeah. In the words of the investigator, Neo, quote, represented himself as being in the house even though he wasn't physically at the house, end quote. Yeah, what a scoundrel. Neo makes threats back to him like, come in, I'm waiting for you, I'll kill you, and like, yada yada, stuff like that. Like, basically challenging him back. And he's not even there. So you know he's going to come in hot. Yes. I don't know what his logic could have been for that. But anyway, it's... I don't want to say good, but it's, like, good that it happened because this October 8th incident is what, like, gets the ball rolling on everything else. Right, right, right. So. For investigators. Yes. Shane tells Neo that he crashed his vehicle into their garage door in a text message. He says specifically, check your garage, expletive. I ran right through your garage. Go look. I'm going to run into the house next. Answer, expletive, front door. Overall, there are 18 pages of text messages between Shane and Neo on October 8th. Wow. So they were, like, feuding. Yeah, but not for real, because homie was, like, not even hit it. Yeah. So the police go to Neo's mom's house, and they see the property damage, but they do not retrieve the bullet from inside the residence at that time, which seems negligent to me, but for whatever reason, they didn't. They noted that there was a bullet on the second floor, and they left it there. <gasps> They're claiming it was because, at that time, they just thought it to be a property crime. However... Still, you need evidence for property crimes, right? right? However... All right, Las Vegas. Yeah, I have so many thoughts about this police department. <laughs> During their investigation, police were able to link Shane Valentine to the incident as the person who fired a gun into that occupied structure. After doing that, they were able to obtain a warrant for Shane for that incident. But it seemed like they were really dragging their feet because... You know, Neo said he didn't know the guy, but the neighbors were able to provide really detailed accounts of what happened, including a vehicle description, a suspect description, and even the license plate, which belonged to a rental car that was rented to Shane Valentine, like in his yeah. name. So, so it was like, easy to find. It was easy and to like, text message. Yes. It was easy to like oh, link yeah. it. They also had pieces of that car collected from the driveway and Neo's mom's statement, but despite all of that, 
Within just a couple days, that investigation was closed, citing, quote, insufficient evidence for prosecution, end quote. And that seems like the biggest slam dunk of all property crimes. Yeah. I mean, wow. no, my house got burglarized last year, and the idiot left me a note. So that is maybe the biggest slam dunk yeah, of all yeah, property yeah. crimes, because he signed his name yeah, and yeah, everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was witnesses. But this was, like, second. Yeah. Runner-up of, of easily runner to yeah. win that, yeah. Las Vegas. That's what I'm just going to say. Every time they <laughs> Las Vegas. drop the ball. So anyway, a warrant was eventually issued in connection to that shooting incident, but only because the detectives on Sydney and Neo's homicide case sought charges for that incident. Okay. But better late than never. So not whatever division is in charge of the property crimes. They like, oh, they insufficient like, evidence. But okay. homicide was like, mm, no. Gotcha. So after the murders, Shane fled to California. So he turns his phone off in Las Vegas in close proximity to their apartment, and it turns back on in California. So he gets apprehended in California, and it took officials over there to make this happen because, like I said, the officers with the Las Vegas Metropolitan PD didn't seem to care. Sometime after the murders, but before Shane was arrested, he actually changed his cell phone number and then deleted his text message thread with Neo, which is suspicious. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes when I get in an argument with someone, I like to delete it because I said a lot of things. And I don't want to be reminded. Yeah. Yeah. If I delete your text message thread, you're dead to me, basically. (laughs) But in this case, he was actually dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's not even like a dead to me thing. It's like like I'm ashamed. Yeah. Of how much oh, I popped off. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's about yourself. If I, yeah. No, I just delete it when I'm mad at you and I don't want to... Look at you no more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when Shane was arrested, he was in possession of a 2015 silver Nissan Altima that had significant front-end damage, including a missing Nissan emblem. He still had the rental? Yes. This fool. Which, as you know, this uh, Nissan emblem was recovered from the Kaufman's Yeah, home. so they just put it back like a puzzle piece and they were like, hey, yeah, it's I you. think it fits, yeah. <laughs> So, at the grand jury, a crime scene analyst with Las Vegas Metropolitan PD, I'm just going to refer to them as Metro PD or LVM PD going forward as much as possible, because that's like a mouthful to say. Yeah, yeah. So, I might just say like Metro. So, anyway, a crime scene analyst said that she observed bullet holes inside the residence and that she noted a projectile was lodged in the ceiling. Despite recovering other evidence from the scene, including the small plastic pieces reportedly belonging to the vehicle that slammed into the garage door... They did not, as you know, collect the bullet from that shooting. It wasn't until after the warrant for Shane was issued that this significant piece of evidence was retrieved and then in the possession of the police. I believe it was finally collected on October 30th, 2016. So just days after Sydney and Neo had been murdered. So it's like they didn't care at all about the property crime until there was a homicide. Well, that honestly, that makes sense. I, I mean, know, it's I feel like good, if somebody shot at my house and there was a bullet lodged in my ceiling, I would expect the police to take the bullet out of yeah, my ceiling. Yeah, just to match it to whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so But they didn't care for some reason. So when the crime scene analyst is being questioned by Chief Deputy Pamela Weckerly, who is a representative of the district attorney's office, the jurors were also permitted to ask questions. And a juror does just that and says, quote, you never recovered the bullet, the actual bullet, right? The analyst responds, no, I did not. Well, in the Baltimore Post-Examiner article from 2019 called Las Vegas Grand Jury Evidence, Hints Convicted Felon Sugar Shane Valentine is a Snitch, they posed this very telling question. 
why was it a juror who had to ask the crime scene analyst about the bullet and not Pamela Weckerly herself, the person who was questioning them on behalf of the state? I want you to remember that it wasn't somebody from the DA's office who asked the question about the bullet being left behind. So... The article's author, Doug Papa, also said, quote, I believe somebody told the crime scene analyst not to retrieve the bullet, and the prosecutor knew that, and that's why she did not follow through with the questioning. Also, the chain of custody could be challenged in a judicial proceeding if the bullet was retrieved weeks later, end quote. That's actually not his exact quote because he used the crime scene analyst's name, but since I had it, I took it out there. Okay. So, c- can I recap? Yeah. So, they're... On trial about the, it. About the grand jury. The so grand jury. Oh, yeah. before trial. Yeah. So they're asking questions, and the prosecutor is deliberately leaving out. Yeah, they deliberately don't ask about the bullet. Right. But because, a juror says, Hey, why didn't you do that? That's yeah, obvious. or you didn't get the bullet, right? And you're like, No, I didn't. And they, they think, or like, you know, outside people think it's because somebody told that analyst to leave the bullet there. And the so, DA's office knew that. So that's why they were purposely, like, omitting that from their questioning. Right. Because then it would look super suspicious. But yes. they want the bullet left because yes. that leads it to... It could have been a chain of custody yeah, issue. Oh, yeah. and it might really not be the bullet. Yes. In, in so doing, they're protecting sugar Shane. Shane? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry I said sugar Shane. Just no. regular okay. Shane <laughs> Valentine. I love the way you said that. So... I was trying to decide when to introduce all these players in this episode, and truth be told, there isn't really a good time, because they're all interconnected, and if you tell about one, you eventually mention another without introducing them. So I'm just going to tell you who these people are, even if we aren't to their part of the story yet, because it's so intertwined, that's inevitable, we'll get to them. First, Frankie Zappia. I mentioned her name earlier as being a friend of Sydney's. In court documents, Frankie is identified as both a prostitute and the stepdaughter of a retired Metro officer, Dano Giersdorf. She allegedly worked for a man named Dominique Domo Thompson, a known pimp in the area. She has a sister named Ariane, who, like Frankie, is related to Officer Giersdorf by marriage. Okay. Next, there's the judges. That's right, judges plural. Judge Melanie Tobiasen, also known as Sarah's mom, So, Judge Tobiasen alleges that the pimps in the Las Vegas area are targeting the daughters of police officers and judges to recruit them into the quote-unquote game. There was a clothing store, and I use that phrasing in the loosest sense possible, but there was a clothing store called Top Notch that looked a whole lot like a strip club. And Judge Tobiasen said it was actually a front for prostitution in the venue where local pimps went to recruit underage girls. According to her, this is where her teenage daughter, Sarah, met Shane Valentine. Shane happened to be roommates with a girl named Morgan Fitzpatrick. And guess who her mom is? Another judge. Clark County Judge Michelle Levitt? Levitt, Levitt. Levitt, Levitt. This is the only time I talk about Michelle, so that's it. So it seems like these, these children of judges... Law enforcement people, yeah. Law enforcement and judges, they hang out. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, like, but they also seem to hang out with pimps. Yeah. Which is not something I would have ever put together. So they're saying that Sarah, daughter of a judge, and Morgan, daughter of a judge, are friends. Morgan is also roommates with a known criminal, Shane Valentine. Oh. So she lives with this man, and her mom is a county judge. Okay. Okay. That seems like too close of a connection for a criminal, but 
Just weeks before Neil was murdered, he accused Shane via text of being a police informant. You the cops, homie! I heard you a snitch, bruh! Yeah, so right before he calls him out on being a police informant. You did that and way better than I would And then he gets murked? Yes. Okay, this is, yeah, too big a coincidence yeah, to be too a big, coincidence. Yeah. yeah, but there's so much more. Judge, leave it, love it. The mother of Shane's four... <laughs> Sorry. One of those. The mother of Shane's former roommate, Morgan, was the presiding judge over a case for a man named Marlon Brown, who owned Top Notch, the (gasps) clothing store. That they'd all connected with, Mm -hmm. and they all go to get the little girls. Yes. So she ended up recusing herself from his case, and then it was reassigned to Judge Jacqueline Bluth, who is married to Metro Detective Kelly Bluth. And he's significant because when Judge Tobiasen initially came forward with her allegations of this underage prostitution thing going down a top notch, Detective Bluth is the person who went to quote-unquote investigate her claims. But according to Judge Tobiasen, Bluth never followed up. And all of this seems really convoluted and like Las Vegas is a small town or something, but it's really not. But, like, okay, so Top Notch is owned by this guy named Marlon Brown. He gets in trouble for something, and Morgan's mom, the judge, is the judge on his case. She's like, this is a conflict of interest. It's too close. It's too close. My daughter lives with Shane, who is involved, who hangs out there, who knows this guy, whatever. So she, like, backs out of it. It gets reassigned to a different judge whose husband is is a cop, and he half-assed the investigation. The investigation which is on convenient. Top Notch, which is owned by Marlon Brown. So it's like a huge circle. circle. And it's very convenient that he botched that investigation yeah. because even, you know, because he botched the investigation, yeah. the prosecutor can't bring anything against yeah. him. Yeah. Um, let so me it's guess. convenient. He gets off? Oh, I don't remember. But probably. Okay. <laughs> so at some point in 2018, Morgan Fitzpatrick testified that Shane ordered two women to beat her after a night's work for an escort service. So that judge's daughter is a prostitute and a roommate of Shane. She said that the women forcibly pulled her from a vehicle and assaulted her while Shane sat there and watched. And then Shane was never charged in connection with that incident. Well, that's outrageous, yeah. right? Because I mean, typically, if you're and you, she's if saying you're this the happened, daughter of a judge or anybody, like if I'm like this person pulled me out of a vehicle and beat me, and this person told them to do it, they're at least going to go check that out. Yeah, I wonder how much. Like, prostitutes really report on their pimps, though. But she's the daughter of a judge. Yeah. Yeah, So, what I'm going to share next with you are parts of an exclusive interview that Judge Tobiasen did with the Baltimore Post-Examiner in 2018. And it's pretty long, so I'll break it up into chunks that we can talk about as we go. Okay. Now, remember, these are the words verbatim from Judge Tobiasen. It reads, quote, This all started about in the summer of 2015. I had a case in front of me where a judge's daughter was the victim of a brutal beating by two female defendants. It turns out that those two defendants worked for a pimp by the name of Shane Valentine, as did the judge's daughter. The pimp who was at the scene of the initial beating was actually directing the girls to inflict the beating on this judge's daughter and was never charged. So that's what we were just talking about, the Morgan Fitzpatrick, Shane Valentine thing. Got you. So we're going to go out of the quote for a little bit to try to explain this. So... One of the two girls who assaulted Morgan was this girl named Sophia, and her dad's name is Vinny, and he went to federal prison for his involvement in this, like, crime family. So, I guess, like, the mob. Yeah. So. Mobbish. Mobbish. So, she is a prostitute, 
and Shane Valentine is her pimp, but her dad is like in the mob. So that's not a lot of degrees of separation between Shane and the mob. mob. Yeah, and more than that, it shows like kind of a hierarchy. I would feel like the mob is scary and in control. Yeah. But if Shane is pimping their daughter, do the daughter of a mobster, it's a big deal. Yeah, so I originally thought he was just like some low-level street thug, but then when I'm like, one of his girls working for him is the daughter of a mobster, so he obviously has more influence than I thought he did initially. Yeah. All right, maybe we should call him Sugar Shane. Yeah, I mean, but he's also dumb because he drove his car, his rental car into that thing, kept the rental car, like, he did a lot of stupid things. Well, you know how some people, like, when they're so above the law, they, you know what I'm saying? And... He is definitely thinking he's above the law. He has so much. Yeah, like, what do you have to worry about? You go, yeah. Judge Tobiasen is doing a preliminary hearing about that whole incident. And she said, during the hearing, four guys come in and they sit in the back of her courtroom. And they just stare at Morgan, the judge's daughter, Uh to, like, intimidate her. So, Judge Tobiasen's not having it. So, she kicks these four dudes out. So, Judge... Judge Tobison isn't Morgan's mom. She no. knows that judge. Yes, or that judge it's is. her colleague's daughter. Right. But they're definitely in there to intimidate her. Yes. So oh, Judge Tobison is the judge who's doing the assault thing with Morgan. Like, Morgan was assaulted by these two girls instructed by Shane to do it. During the preliminary hearing for that, four men come in, sit in the back row, stare at the witness, basically, like, mm-hmm. and the victim to intimidate her. And then Judge Tobison throws them out of the courthouse. Respectfully. So, now we're going to go back to the quotes. Quote, one of those people was Shane Valentine. <gasps> the, the, the gall. Yeah. So, but then I'm like, okay, how important are you if you don't have somebody else doing this, like, little legwork for yeah. you? But that's maybe, true, that's true. But maybe seeing him is more intimidating than seeing yeah. one of maybe his Maybe his cronies. style is, like, do it himself. Yeah. So, quote, at the time my daughter was a sophomore at Bishop Gorman High School here in Las Vegas, and she was very good friends with a girl, also a sophomore, whose dad was a police officer with Metro. This girl, from what I understand, I didn't know at the time, was actually working as a prostitute for Shane. So we've got a judge's daughter and a police officer's daughter. Shane Valentine becomes aware that I have a daughter. And within about two weeks of hearing that, my daughter is introduced to Shane Valentine by that other girl, the police officer's daughter, that was her friend. Totally orchestrated. Yeah, so holy crap. So he's clearly not some, like, quote-unquote thug, because this is, like, some serious interconnectedness and yeah, influence are, and intimidation. Like, he's got birdies everywhere. So she him. throws him out of the courthouse, and then he finds out, oh, that same judge has a daughter, too. Like, let me get at her. Yeah. Which is freaking scary. So, quote... About July of 2015, my daughter starts hanging out at a place known as Top Notch. It was Mm -hmm. a hip-hop clothing store that, when I looked into, realized it was not really a clothing store. It was a front for an unlicensed club and also, on a regular basis, had young local high school girls hanging out in the club dancing. There were stripper poles in the back of the club. There was a full bar. There were, at night, if you watched the alley behind the club, you would see the people come in. You know, the typical Mercedes, Range Rovers, Bentleys, Rolls Royce, whatever. They would all pull in, and you would see the people getting out, and you could see exactly what was going on. They would all go through the alley back door, and it was, in fact, an unlicensed club. What the heck? So the judge is, like, staking the place out. Yeah, she's like, ain't, I'm not having it. She is a sideline sleuth. Oh, respect, more respect. (laughs) So, quote, in July of 2015, I started contacting detectives in Vice, asking them about this particular establishment. They tell me they have no knowledge of it (gasps) whatsoever. Yes. 
I gather some additional information, find out that the two men running this club both are convicted pimps, one of whom is having a case in front of me. He was a 34-year-old. I take that information to the police and say, listen, these guys have young girls from, you know, local high schools hanging out here every night, and from my understanding, they're entertaining in this unlicensed club. Not only that, there's a bar there. Like, yes. It's underage, period. They can't be in there. At one point, one of the vice officers apparently walked through there about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I can assure you there was no activity going on. It reports back to me that it definitely appears to be suspicious. But, like, okay, out of the quote, that's Detective Bluth. Oh! That's the other judge's husband. So she's like, this place is shady. You need to go look. So he goes at 2 p.m. Yeah, of course you're not going to see anything. Yeah, of course you're not going to see anything. So he tells her it does appear to be suspicious, but, like, nothing's going on. So... Back to the quotes. Quote, this guy's in the pocket for sure. Oh, yeah. Or on the take or whatever you call it. So, yeah, I don't know. But I get what you mean. Yeah. Quote, that's the only thing that was ever done in the entire year and three months or so that I was giving information to Vice. They never follow up or do anything else. Wow. And so quote. she's a judge. She's That's not her job. Not period. at all. She's like the whole other side of the legal system. Wow. And so she's got to give them tips and they just act clueless? Yeah, they're like, oh, nothing's Like two o'clock in the afternoon. Never heard of it. If someone tells you there's an unlicensed club at night, yeah, underage girls going go there at, at night. night. Why are you going at lunch? Plain clothes. You'd go at night yeah. and just be like, what the heck You pretend is? to get in the club, right? Yeah. Even, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> we should apply for jobs. Quote, my daughter at some point tells me that she's going to start working there. And I tell her, you know, I make it very clear it's not a legitimate business. And I make it very clear that she's risking a lot for our family by hanging out with these kinds of people. I'm also in a very precarious position because doing everything I can to keep it so that we have a relationship and I don't alienate her. So what I do is I allow her to go and work there, but I watch it. I sit, I watch while she's there, and in about three weeks, she says she doesn't want to go back there. Good. Don't go back. But my understanding, even after that, they would hang out there. It was like a hookah lounge slash strip club. So I continue to tell the police this, and I watch the back alley. I get license plate numbers, vehicle makes and models, and tell them what's going on. I get the information and, you know, express my concern repeatedly that there are 30-something-year-old pimps running this unlicensed club with these underage girls hanging out there. Wait, wait. So this is the boss. This is this is Judge the Boss Lady like, Judge. Yes, boss Lady Judge. That's her. Yes. Okay, y'all go look at her picture her. and smile at it. Yeah, I'll post it on her <laughs> okay. social media. It's interesting enough that the first time I took the information to the police, I wasn't so concerned because I figured within a week the place would be shut down. Well, clearly that didn't happen because I subsequently learned that not only did the police know about this place when I first started giving them information, they knew about a lot of places like this, and that they were kind of untouchable. There were certain pimps that were untouchable, and then there were certain pimps that they would go after. The pimps that were untouchable, from my understanding, were the pimps who would play the game. They would pay the price, they would, you know, offer their girls, and they would do whatever they wanted, despite the fact that they were targeting, you know, judges' daughters, cops' daughters, etc. I learned pretty quickly that Shane Valentine was also untouchable. No matter what I said to the police about him, they never went after him. So this was about September. This goes into September, October 2015. Then my daughter quit hanging out there. Occasionally she would go there, but mostly she wasn't going there. I feel so bad because obviously her daughter's young. High school, right? She's a sophomore, like 15. Oh, she's a jit. So she's she's just making friends and she thinks they're her friends. But when you have all these other... If you're a prostitute... Yeah. And I'm not judging. Bro. She wasn't but, a prostitute. But her, but her friends, friends are prostitutes. Are prostitutes. So they already have like this whole other like set of motivations. Yeah. And so they're 
their motives aren't what she... That's yeah. really sad. I get what she's saying. Like, And I, she also probably thinks she might be a little bit cool at first, because these guys are older. So yeah. when I was 17, I had a 22-year-old boyfriend, and I remember thinking that I was, like, really cool for it. He just thinks I'm really mature. Yeah. And, like, and I was like, he has a car in his own apartment, and he can vote, and blah, blah, blah. So Girls his age just know better. Yeah. They just yeah, knew they're he just was, like, you're great. Yeah. December of 2015, I still continued to give information, even when my daughter was no longer going there, because I figured it was not only my daughter that was in jeopardy. December 2015, my daughter comes to me and she says to me that she met a guy the night before. She went to his house, apparently was sent to him by people at Top Notch to get a fake ID, or at least by people that she had met at Top Notch. That person was Shane Valentine. She had met him, but she didn't really have much interaction with him. On this particular night, she goes over there to get a fake ID, and he starts, you know, talking the talk. And I had given her a heads up about what that would sound like, what that would look like. She's a good mom. But I'm so, like, I can't, she's, like, dangling her daughter as bait a lot, though. Oh, oh, well, she's just letting her daughter go where her daughter wants to go. The minute you tell a 15, 16-year-old, you can't do this, they're more It keeps her in the know. Like, she gets to see what's going on, but it's so scary. And her daughter came to her with it. That's how you know. And how do you, like, how you like, my mom's a judge, but hey, mom, I was about to do something illegal last night. I was going to go get a fake ID. Yeah, but I mean, so she's a cool mom. So she's goals. He starts talking to her and tells her that he's going to teach her how that she was born with a silver spoon in her mouth and that he was going to teach her how to quote unquote work the strip and that she was going to make money for him. So she says, no, that's not my thing. I'm not doing that. Keep this silver spoon. Thank you. Yeah. Right. How would you want to trade the silver spoon (laughs) to be a hooker? A sweet life. No. So there was some pretty choice words exchanged between the two. And then the next morning she advised me what happened. And I was like, thank God that she's home safe. And we had a lengthy conversation about, again, the risks she was taking by hanging out with these kinds of people and what it would require of me if one of them were to get her. I then immediately contact Vice again. And this was probably the fifth or sixth time I had contacted them in this particular time period, July to December of 2015. I contacted them immediately. I gave them his name, the address she had gone to, the fact that he had drugs and guns in his house and was an ex-felon, and the conversation he had with my daughter, and the fact that he was clear that he also had girls working, other girls working for him. And they did nothing. They said they would look into it. I subsequently learned that not only did they know who he was, but he was also pretty much untouchable. And they never even queried the address because they had never, they never had any intention of going after him, end quote. Wow. So she's like feeding them like a criminal, like yeah. on a platter. Like here's a felon yeah. with a gun and drugs and prostitutes and he's yeah, going soliciting young yeah. girls. and Underage girls. And they were like noted. What kind of information is, what kind of, what is he doing for them? Like, they had said, I've said it earlier, I think, they were offering up their girls. I think their prostitutes were sleeping with the cops, is what that meant. When they were, like, certain oh. pimps were untouchable, they go after other pimps, those ones would offer up their girls. So I think that's what that meant. Ew. So the cops were banging the hookers, too. Oh. Quote, for a long period of time, I thought that they were just lazy, that they thought, why is she letting her daughter do this? You know, my theory was they should understand that when you're dealing with this kind of stuff, you try to do everything in your power to keep your child talking to you. Because if you alienate them, you basically send them into the lion's den. Yeah. Which is what we were just talking about, like how scary that would be. So she's letting her daughter... Super strategic. Yeah, smartly. That's how she's a judge. So she's letting her daughter go into these really scary situations for what she thought was the greater good of the community and also for their relationship. Yeah. But... Still freaking scary. So the interview that we're reading this from has been invaluable because I was getting really confused in my own head going back and forth between the different stories and trying to make, like, this timeline. And we have, too. We've had to, like, pause this recording and, like, hash it out (laughs) and then come back. So without, like, 
thank goodness they published this transcript because without it, I don't know if I would have found all this information in one like concise yeah. way. A, so yeah, to summarize, yeah. It. It continues, quote, February 2016, Shane Valentine is caught on video very, very close to my house doing residential burglaries. When he wasn't pimping out girls and selling dope, he was burglarizing houses. And in what fact... A loser. But he had that lucrative. Yeah, but like, I don't know who he is. Like, he has a mobster's daughter on his... I yeah. don't know. But then he also it, just sometimes breaks into houses. I don't know. I, just, I don't get it. So... Either you're making money or you're not. Maybe he's just trying to diversify his portfolio. (laughs) Okay. A lieutenant at Metro at one point told me that he was, they thought he was good for at least 600 burglaries. What? Yeah. So he's, he gets arrested for this one particular burglary that she's telling you about. So he's caught on surveillance camera and they put a warrant out for him. Now, prior to that, there were six burglaries in Judge Tobias's neighborhood that were all like the same MO. Mm -hmm. Same description, whatever. So she says, quote, I went to the burglary detective and said, I believe he had done those and also told him, you know, about my situation with my daughter and about the situation with these girls, and they did nothing. I mean, he did get arrested for that one burglary that he did on tape, but they did no follow-up on the other burglaries. Nobody ever attempted to get a search warrant for his house, despite the fact that there were people who could say they saw guns and drugs, whatever, in the house, end quote. And that's because Shane is untouchable. So the only reason they even went after him for that one burglary is because it was on tape. tape The other 599, they were just like... Do your Meh. thing. Yeah. These prostitutes are great. Wow. So, so I guess what I thought when I just assumed he was untouchable because he was like an informant or something. Which, he, you're a snitch, bro. Remember you said it earlier. Yeah, yeah, you the cops, homie. Yeah. Okay, okay. Quote, at this time when they issued the arrest warrant for him, I learned that he's got an outstanding bench warrant on a domestic violence case in front of me where he beat up a girl at a place called Panorama Towers, which is notorious for pimp and prostitution activity. Clear for the facts of the case that she was a prostitute working for him. He beats her up, a security guard comes to her aid, and doesn't leave. He sends her pictures of him with guns, threatens to kill her, so she's never going to be safe. She gives a statement to the police, basically that she's terrified, afraid to leave her house because she's afraid he's going to kill her. May of 2016, Shane Valentine gets picked up on one of those warrants, bailed out on the burglary case, pleads guilty to the battery domestic violence case in front of me, and I recuse. So he's coming to her for that, and she's like, I can't be the judge on this case wow. because I know him. How noble. Because I, I would have stayed, and I would have nailed else him. doing nothing, yeah. so. I would have been Bye. like, and you're going to rot in jail forever on yeah. this very small job. And I'd be like, uh, also, can you check his house for guns? Oh, 35 guns? Okay, you're going to yeah. live a life. But during that conversation, I had brought counsel into my chambers to explain to them, you know, the circumstances around this guy and my concerns for my daughter. The DA at the time says to me, Judge, this is the guy who pimped out the other judge's daughter. So they know. The DA tells her that he knows Shane is a pimp and he is Levitt Levitt's daughter's pimp. Okay, okay, okay. So she... She's like, I want to recuse, and she tells the DA why she's recusing. Yeah, they just went out of judges? Is everybody's daughter... uh, They're going after everybody. Well, okay, okay, yeah. But I just feel like the DA DA, knows. The DA knows. They admitted right then to Judge Tobias that they are aware that Shane is the pimp who has Michelle's daughter, Morgan, working for him. I guess that's just, like, earth-shattering. Apparently not. Like, nobody seems to get there. Like, oh, yeah, that's that pimp who's targeting I mean, the judges. Earth-shattering for Tobias. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quote, she just happened to remember that he was the one on the other case, that he was the pimp, even though he wasn't charged. She remembered his name. I had never made the connection until that moment. 
Now, mind you, I'm telling the police about Shane now for six months. And then I learned this detail. And because now I realize that he's targeting certain types of girls or certain families, now I know for sure, end quote. So it's like everybody knows who Shane is, and yet nothing is happening to him. And Tobiasen is really going above and beyond the normal judge duties, and yet nobody is helping her. She's like, it's a one-woman show. So she's, she's working as an investigator. Everything. She's bringing it to everyone. The shocking thing is, because no one's going after him, he's escalating. Like, I feel like he's... He's untouchable. He feels invincible. Oh, I don't know if I say this later. So she, like, goes rogue and goes to Shane's house and kicks his door down and threatens him. What? Yeah. She's so, yeah. all our episodes ever. Yeah. So I, don't, I might tell you about that in the future. I don't remember. I wrote this a while ago. But, um... Yeah, so she's just like, nobody's helping her, so she just goes over there, and she, like, kicks his door down, and she's like, you better leave my daughter alone. I want to be her when I grow up. She continues, quote, so I called Vice again, I said, I've just learned that he is the same guy who pimped out the other judge's daughter, and they seem to be shocked. However, I now know that they knew exactly who he was. That and raggedy he- acting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, what? <laughs> Shane, Shane. Wait, hold on, I gotta tell my partner. <laughs> Some foolishness. Yeah. So they knew exactly who he was and who he had pimped out when I gave them his information the first time. They knew who this guy was and that he had pimped out the judge's daughter. They knew he had never been charged. They had never even submitted a case on him. They had never gone after him, end quote. So for those of you who don't know what Vice is, because I was like, I mean, I saw it on Dexter when his sister worked there in the very beginning of the series, but I like didn't know what it really was. So according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it is the police squad charged with enforcement of laws concerning gambling, pornography, prostitution, and the illegal use of liquor and narcotics. So basically everything going on a top notch, but they don't That's care That's their about. only concern. Their only You job. had one job. Yeah. So, Judge Tobiasen continues, quote, About a month later, he comes back to court, and I recuse. I had taken the plea on the case because the case was negotiated. So, I had taken the plea and had to explain to the attorneys that though there was this conflict, I would never put him in jail. I didn't want to recuse because I wasn't sure if he was aware of their relationship. So, originally, she's like, I'm going to recuse. And then they're like, he already wants to plea. Just sign it. Just take the plea. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, I'm not putting him in jail anyway. I guess I'll just sign it. Uh-huh. And she also didn't know if he knew who she was yet. So, yeah, both parties agreed that since the case was negotiated and it was just a misdemeanor that I would take the plea. And if there was ever a time where I had to come back and be imposed, I would recuse. By the first status check, I had decided that I was going to recuse anyway because there was nothing good about me being on his case. And I had learned some other information by that time. So when he comes back for his first status check, I recuse. Later that day, he starts contacting my daughter from a blocked phone number. She has not heard from him in some time, probably since the warrant went out in February. He's such a jerk. So he knew who she was. 100%. So she calls me immediately and she said, was Shane in court today? And I say, yes, he was. She said, he's been contacting me. So he called her two or three times from two or three different numbers. The first number he called, he texted this message to her. She said, who is this? And he said, sugar. And she blocks him. So then he calls from another number and says, why the F are you going to do that? She blocks him again. I can't remember if he did a third number or if it was just the two, but she contacted me immediately, and then I called Vice, and I told them. She is, like, persistently trusting in Vice, and they don't yeah. do their job. She continues, quote, While he's out on bail on that burglary, while I continue to go to the police, and while he continues to harass my daughter, the police continue to do nothing. During that time, from what I understand, he's still pimping out girls, he's still selling dope, he's still burglarizing houses. It was well known among the kids, the teenagers who hung out in this group of people, who hung out in the hookah lounges, that Shane and a kid named Neo were doing the burglaries. Mm-hmm. Pause. Neo being Kaufman. Neo Kaufman, yeah. the victim in this homicide. Uh, you got murked, Neo. I'm so sorry, but you're hanging out with sugar. Shane. 
Quote, so this summer my daughter was actually doing very well. She was working at, you know, a regular place, doing really well, had a different group of friends, was not involved with the stuff, but I continued to push it because at any time, there were several times I had conversations with Bluth where he said, what's going on with your daughter? And I'd say, my daughter's fine. And he'd go, well, what do you want us to do? And I said, just because my daughter's fine doesn't mean other people's daughters are fine. And I said, this isn't just about my kid. This is about everyone's kids. She's so noble. The point is, is, I shouldn't have to convince you that crime in Las Vegas, vice crime, is a problem. That's your territory. Get on it. So I have, like, subheadings in our script of, like, what I'm going to talk about. So I have, like, the burglary, the interview. The subheading is vice sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what else to call it. No, it's absolutely perfect. Perfect transition. So September 26th of 2016, it was a Sunday. I get a search warrant call from Homicide. Halfway through the search warrant, they give the address and the name of the location of the homicide. The location was Top Notch Clothing Store, (gasps) the place I had started to talk to Vice about in July of 2015. It's now December of 2016. So Top Notch was still going strong, after-hours club with underage girls, and lo and behold, there's a murder there. So I get off the phone, I call the homicide sergeant back, and I explain to him that, you know, I was concerned about my name being on the search warrant, because these people who knew who I was, and they tried to get their hooks into my daughter, and they will most likely got their hooks into other girls. So, like... Seems like nothing seems to happen and until so, homicide. And it seems like all. there's three judges in Las Vegas. Yeah, what's happening? Yeah. Y'all got to... We got to hire some other people. So she is clearly being blown off for some reason. Like, there's a reason they're not taking her seriously. And I'm sorry I'm doing so much reading from this interview, but I feel like it's important... Because like paints the picture. Yeah, she does a really good job of summarizing. Yeah. So that was October 26th. I contact Detective Bluth and I'm pissed. I say to him, I assume you heard about the murder at Top Notch. I'm not sure why you've blown me off all this time, but maybe now I have your attention. I said, maybe now since there's a murder at Top Notch and I asked you guys to investigate that a year and a half ago and you knew what was going on over there. I said, so maybe now you'll investigate Shane Valentine. I said, he's out on bail on a burglary charge. He's got multiple felony convictions from when he was a juvenile, certified as an adult. He's pimped out one judge's daughter. He's pimped out multiple police officers' daughters. He tried to pimp out my daughter. He's targeting certain families, and you guys just don't care. And I said, I have information on a girl who at this moment is working as a prostitute for him while he's out on bail on a burglary. Maybe you should do some investigation and do something about it. So he tells me that he'll be at my office on Thursday afternoon. So Thursday comes and goes, no call, no show. (gasps) So that following Sunday, coincidentally, I was at the jail doing something else, and I run into Al B's. He's like a partner of that guy. And I was not nice. I walked up to him and I said, one question. Why do you guys keep blowing me off? I go, I've been bringing you guys information about these guys pimping out underage girls, and what's your big talking point on the news? And I said, over a year now, and you guys have been just blowing me off for a year now. You've done nothing. You haven't investigated anything I told you. You haven't made an effort to independently investigate or verify any of the information I've given you. And now you've got a dead person at a place I told you about a year ago that was an unlicensed club. I don't understand. And he goes... I don't know what you're talking about. (gasps) The disrespect. I said, I talked to Bluth. He was supposed to come to my office and once again, no call, no show. And he's like, oh, he's out of town. And I said, well, he has a phone, doesn't he? And he says, so we'll come to your office next week. Boo, I'm done with appointments. Goodbye. Yeah. So the following week, which would have been the first week of October 2016, which is when Shane shot up Neo's mom's house. They come to my office, and it's Al B's, Kelly Bluth, and George Flores, and I give them information on a girl, the same girl I told you about earlier whose dad was a police officer who's friends with my daughter. I give them her name, her dad's name, and all the information, and again, I give them Shane's information, where he lives, what his story is. Now, I've said to them when I give this information, every time I give this information, I said, my daughter could never know that I'm giving you information. 
if she finds out, she'll never talk to me again. And I'll never get information again. And, you know, she might just be pissed off or whatever, but she'll never talk to me again. Let me guess. They immediately let her know. Or they leak whatever information. They do. Because they don't want her to talk to her mom anymore. But we're going to get that in a second. So this is Judge DePiason saying that she's working with the cops to get this stopped and that Sarah, her daughter, doesn't know. So this judge is risking not only her daughter's relationship with her, but also their lives and her political career and all this stuff by admitting that she's, like, associated with this group. Well, according to her, there's this guy named Jamal Rashid, and apparently he's from the show Love and Hip Hop, but I don't watch TV. That's him. And he goes by the name Molly Mall, but I'm going to call him Jamal for the remainder of this episode. Shayton Valentine is or was allegedly an associate of Jamal's whose media outlets have referred to as, quote, suspected Las Vegas prostitution kingpin, end quote. Well, in early 2019, he was detained on charges of human trafficking, and that wasn't the first time. His home in Las Vegas was raided by the FBI in 2014 after he was believed to be a part of a prostitution and escort service, but no arrests were made. I also read that Metro did not participate in any of these raids or even know that they were happening because of the FBI's knowledge of alleged corruption going on inside their department. Okay. So the FBI is coming into the Las Vegas area and doing raids and not telling the cops that they're doing it. Yeah. Because the fair. cops might tip them off, right? Because yeah. they're, they're well, all buddies. Vice sucks. Yes, because, yes. In an April of 2019 article, I read that three prostitutes filed a lawsuit against Jamal. One of them is an unidentified woman who claimed that in 2006, she was sucked into a sex trafficking ring. She then alleges that she was trafficked to several larger cities in the U.S., such as Chicago and Boston, to perform sex acts, and that Jamal took 30% of her earnings at first, but would later come to take 100% of the money that she made from her acts. The Baltimore Post-Examiner reported that court records indicate that Jamal was paying several corrupt Metro vice detectives, and at least one of them, but could be more, at least one detective from Metro's criminal intelligence unit was sexually involved with a prostitute who worked for Jamal. Well, we knew that. Oh, no, not Jamal. We knew that about... But I think what we're learning is that Jamal is the top of this. Yeah. And Shane is under Jamal. So there's a hierarchy. In February of this year, the Baltimore Post-Examiner published a story called Did Las Vegas DA Steve Wolfson and Sheriff Joe Lombardo Cover Up Corruption? And they reported that a man named Ocean Fleming, who was a convicted sex trafficker and previously a competitor of Jamal's, well, he went to prison, but he said that Jamal is actually the police informant. So he's untouchable. Because he also is telling snitch. Stuff. Yeah. But, so I, I don't know. I guess maybe they're both snitches, but... Anyway, Judge Tobison continues, quote, Here's the thing. You got Molly Maul paying off these cops to protect his people and his girls and go after the other pimps. Shane worked under Molly Maul, so he's protected. It explains, and if you've got these kind of kids, their parents aren't going to come forward because their parents are embarrassed. My embarrassment comes from the fact that we have a police department and a DA's office who will allow this to happen. They know it's happening. They pretend they don't, and they allow our kids, they allow their own colleagues' kids to get trafficked. And then they go in the news and talk about, you know, their passion for going after these human traffickers when they're just sitting back and watching it. I actually subsequently learned that there were cops who hung out at Top Notch at the club. So it seems like they're all in it together. So, like, the cops go there with the underage girls, too. Yeah. Like They're, like, supporting it because it supports their weird vices. Interesting enough. So the cops are turning a blind eye to the shady stuff that they're seeing because they benefit from it. Yeah, wow. And then Judge Tobiasen says she's just now getting to the good part. And I'm like, what? 
<laughs> Quote, I give these guys this information at the beginning of October of 2015, okay? We already had the murder at Top Notch. Then October 8th of 2016, unbeknownst to me, there's a drive-by shooting at a guy named Neo's house. So Neo was a kid that was a really good kid in high school, and now he's hanging out with Shane, their buddies. Neo was an up-and-coming pimp at the time, but Neo was taking Shane's girls, and Shane was getting pissed. So on October 8th, Shane and Neo have a little tiff in text messages where Shane threatens Neo and says he's going to go shoot up Neo's house. So he, he took something that was his. They're talking about a girl. I thought it was a gun, but it might have been both. Oh, okay. So he tells him to like, bring it and gives him the gate code. And 10 minutes later, Shane rolls up to Neo's mom's house with a rental car, in the rental car in his name, and fires a round into the house and throws a big giant boulder through Neo's mom's window, end quote. Grown man temper tantrum. Yeah, and despite several independent witnesses, the investigation to Neo's mom's house was closed after two days, citing insufficient evidence for prosecution. So, remember, that shooting was October 8th, 2016, and then Neo and Sydney were murdered in their home on October 27th, so not even three weeks later. Yeah. And here's where we get to the part where Judge Tobiason was outed. So, well, on the afternoon of October 25th, 2016, Judge Tobiason says she got a call from Detective Van Cleef, she said, quote, he's frantic, and he says, we have a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, I was asked to sit on an interview today. He goes, I sit down, and the girl comes into the interview, and the detective who's questioning her is a detective by the name of Justine Gaddis. She should be in prison for what she did to me and my daughter. Now, also remember that Judge Tobison's giving all this information to Vice, initially telling them that, like, Sarah can never know. Mm-hmm. Like, they can never link her and Sarah to this. So Detective Gaddis calls in this girl, who's friends with Sarah, whose father is a cop, and who Sarah has told her mother is a prostitute and works oh. for Shane Valentine. So she tells them that Sarah and her mom are the informants, basically. This detective apparently is like, do you know Sarah? And she's like, yeah, I do. Sarah's one of my best friends. And she's like, well, we got her name from her, we got your name from her mom, and she says that you're a prostitute and you, your pimp is a guy named What the Literally heck? in the interview. She's wow, like. Wow, word for word, word what for they word, told yeah. her not to do. Yeah. So she's like, your friend Sarah told us that you're a prostitute and that Shane Valentine's Which champion. obviously is going to make Sarah's life so hard. It's like put a target on her back. Yeah. So naturally, the detective and the judge are freaking out because now their life That's is in danger. That's their life. So Judge Tobiasen goes and gets her daughter and that girl. And she's like, y'all have to hide out at my house. I have to protect you. And like, if anything happens to my daughter because of this, like there's going to be hell to pay. Wait, so the mo- so Tobiasen went and got the girl that was interrogated. Yes. And That's Sarah. Nice. Yeah. So, at this point, that girl wasn't even working for Shane anymore. She was working for Neo. So, her name's Allie. Oh, that's what you mean. Allie tweets that Vice called her in for questioning that day. Like, Allie tweeted it. She tweeted that Vice called her in for questioning. And remember, Neo and Shane are already in a fight over girls or territory or weapons or something. What do you stand to gain by tweeting that? She's like, yeah, the cops caught me in and want to talk to me. Except for more, uh, more of a target on your back. So, what the heck? According to Judge Tobiason, that evening, so the same day that they were outed by Vice and Allie tweeted, Frankie Zapia, the stepdaughter of Metro officer Dano Gearsdorf, and two pimps go to Neo and Sydney's house and murder them. According to Judge Tobiason, Neo and Sydney were murdered eight hours after she and Sarah were outed as the police informant. Eight hours. Wait, so eight hours after that happens... So that's that's the twenty seventh. Yes. Okay. Or the twenty sixth. So, the twenty sixth. Yeah. Right. Because it was so twenty four hours. This girl named Allie gets called in by Vice, and they're like, "Hey, your friend Sarah told us that you're a prostitute for Shane Valentine. Shane Valentine and Neo are in a fight. That girl is actually a prostitute for Neo, right? But she used to be one for Shane. 
So she goes and posts publicly to the World Wide Web that Vice called her in for questioning. And that same night, her old pimp murders her new pimp, according to Judge Tobiason. And her new pimp's girlfriend really had nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with it. She just was there. Oh, that's really sad. Sorry, little Sydney. Okay. Judge Tobiason continues, quote, here's what happened. They find the bodies Thursday morning, two days after they've been killed. They know immediately that Shane is one of the suspects. They're able to ping his phone at the apartment at the time of the shooting. So here's what they don't do. They don't call me and tell me. So Friday night, they find the bodies Thursday morning. For some reason, all the kids on the street know it. Shane did it, everything. And the cops don't know anything, allegedly. So I text Detective Van Cleef at midnight on Friday. So they found the bodies on Thursday. So this is Friday night that she finds out. It would have been the 28th of October, 2016. I said, you have any intel on the suspect and the double homicide, knowing that they did know? And he said, yeah, I heard about that yesterday morning. So I called him. I said, you knew yesterday morning that Shane was a suspect in this double homicide that happened eight hours after you outed me as a source of information, putting my daughter's life in danger, and you didn't think that maybe I should get a heads up? Somebody should have called me and told me that he was a suspect in this double homicide? And I told him Tuesday when I go, Shane is a murder waiting to happen. It better not be my daughter. Remember, she was like, if something happens, there's going to be hell to pay. If somebody gets killed, it better not be Sarah. Well, eight hours later, somebody does get murdered. It's just not Sarah. And he says to me, oh, you guys aren't in danger. You know, he's on the run. He's not worried about you guys. And then he... They are so negligent. Yes. So ridiculous. And she's offered them every professional courtesy. Yeah. And she says, let me explain something to you. He's already killed two people. You think he gives up? about two more. I said, apparently nobody cares about the crimes he commits, so he probably doesn't have to worry about it. They never investigate them. He never gets arrested for them, of course, when they're on videotape he does. I mean, they had opportunities over and over and over. I mean, he didn't even get charged in the other case for the other judge's daughter when he was there and he was directing her beating. He's working for Molly Mall. He's protected. They've been paid to protect him. End quote. So that's when Judge Tobiasen contacts the FBI. Girl. And when Metro finds out that she's communicating with them, the assistant sheriff, now this is all according to her, to Judge Tobison, she says the assistant sheriff contacts the head of the FBI's Las Vegas field office and tells them not to talk to Judge Tobison. Of course, no one with the sheriff's department will admit that they did this now. They all deny that that never happened. Yeah. But. So anyway, let's get back to Sydney and Neo's murder specifically. So shortly after that happens, Shane flees the state and is in California. We talked about this. He turns his phone off, and when he turns it back on, it pings in Baker, California. And he's apprehended in Burbank, California, in the rental car that he was in when he shot up the Kaufman's home and rammed it into their garage. After they catch him is when they decide to reopen that closed investigation of the house. But Judge Tobiason said that she was told that homicide had the DNA of Domo Thompson at the scene of the murder and that both Shane Valentine and Frankie Zappia's cell phones pinged at the apartment where the couple was murdered at the time they were murdered. So so according to her, it's Domo, Shane, and Frankie. Frankie. Maybe that's how she got in the, maybe that's how they got in the house, Frankie. Yes. Oh, I got it. So Frankie's stepdad was a Metro cop, and Judge Tobiason said she knew him. His name is Dan O'Gearstorp, and she knew him before he was a cop. Well, she told the Baltimore Post-Examiner that he retired four days after Sydney and Neil were murdered. And Frankie Zappia is the last known person to see Sydney land alive. Dang. Also, Frankie's sister, Arianne, originally told investigators that she thought her sister was the one who let Shane and Domo into the apartment. She is Sydney's best friend. But such good friends that, this is odd now, after Sydney and Neo died, neither Shane nor Frankie ever sent another text message to them. 
they went from texting back and forth constantly, because remember how old they are, before the bodies are found. So before anybody knows that Sydney and Neo are dead, Frankie Zappia and Shane Valentine never text them again. Frankie's sister, Ariane, has since said that she knows who killed Sydney and Neo and that it isn't Shane, but that she won't say who. Shane Valentine. helpful. Yeah. Be quiet. Shane Valentine is currently incarcerated at Warm Springs Correctional Center in Carson City, Nevada. He received three years for the burglaries they tied to him and the shooting at Neo's mom's house on October 8th, 2016. That's it? That's it. There is currently a petition on Change.org that Connie Land, Sydney's mother, started to not parole him. The detective currently assigned to Sydney and Neo's case, according to Judge Devison, is a longtime friend of Dan O'Giersdorf, Frankie and Arian's stepfather. In a statement Connie Land, Sydney's mom, gave to the Baltimore Post-Examiner, she said, Unfortunately, the DA's office, with their revolving door, once again gave Shane, a violent repeat felon, a pathetic and weak plea deal. I fully believe the death of my daughter, Sydney Land, and Neil Kaufman could potentially have been avoided had the police department and district attorney's office done their jobs by getting Shane Valentine off the streets and locked up. There are a select few who are corrupt within the LVMPD and the DA's office who have gone to great lengths to protect the criminals while re-victimizing victims and knowingly putting civilians in harm's way for their own personal gain, end quote. According to the police, Shane Valentine is a person of interest in the murders of Sidney Land and Neo Kaufman, but he is not a suspect. Yeah. Connie, Sidney's mother, said, quote, I believe that the police aren't going to solve this. Either they may want to, but it's in their best interest not to, and I'm not going to allow them to sweep this under the rug. I truly believe they don't want this case solved, end quote. The murders of Sidney Land and Neil Kaufman currently remain unsolved. Police are seeking any person with information that may lead to a break in the case, so if you have information that could help them with this investigation and bring the killer or killers to justice, please call Crime Stoppers of Nevada at 702-385-5555 or online at crimestoppersofnv.com. You can remain anonymous. If you feel so inclined, you can contact the Las Vegas Metro Police Department at 702-828-3521 or email them at homicide at lvmpd.com. Thank you for listening to Sideline Sleuths. If you have any comments or questions about this case or just feedback about the show in general, you can find us online at facebook.com slash sideline sleuths.